From Washington, this is Talking Tax. I'm Jeff Leon. It's safe to say that Facebook is in a tight spot. The social media giant has been facing increasing scrutiny and criticism in the past weeks, including congressional hearings spotlighting a company whistleblower, a widespread website outage, and mounting concerns about the company's role in stoking misinformation and widening political and social divisions. But Facebook is also in the middle of a major tax fight with the IRS, which could leave them on the hook for nearly $9 billion if they lose, plus interest and penalties. The dispute concerns the value of intangible assets, such as copyrights and trademarks, which the company transferred to overseas subsidiaries. The IRS claims that Facebook undervalued these assets, a charge the company denies. The trial began last February in the U.S. tax court in San Francisco, but was delayed 16 months due to the pandemic. The trial resumed on October 11th, this time in person at the tax court building in Washington, D.C. Fellow Bloomberg tax reporter Aisha Bogchi and I were able to attend, returning to the tax court for the first time since the onset of the pandemic. As a tax reporter, I realized I actually missed going to the tax court. During last week's sessions, the court heard testimony from researchers, economists, and specialists detailing Facebook's early branding, marketing, and growth efforts. It was interesting following along, as counsel for both sides tried to lay out to Judge Kerry Douglas Pugh how Facebook managed its intellectual property and whether it accurately paid its taxes on these intangible assets. To learn more about what this all meant and where it could be heading, we spoke to two tax attorneys who specialize in both international issues and IP. In a bit, we'll hear from Lauren Pons, a member at Miller & Chevalier. But first, let's hear my interview with Irina Pisareva, a member at Crowell & Mooring. So just to get started, could you tell me a little bit more about what's going on in this case? Yeah, so Facebook is yet another in the series of very high-profile transfer pricing cases. We've lived through Coca-Cola, we've lived through Amazon, a number of other cases. So Facebook is probably the most important ongoing transfer pricing case right now. So the main dispute in this case concerns the amount of the payment that Facebook's Irish subsidiary was required to pay its U.S. parent for intangible property rights contributed under the co-sharing arrangement. And this has been an area of long-standing controversy with the IRS. The IRS has started challenging um, those arrangements, and they haven't been very successful. I mean, the premise for the challenge was that, look, if you're going to contribute intellectual property rights into a co-sharing arrangement, then you have to value it properly. So if you were to take this IP and you were to sell it on the open market to the highest bidder, how much would you get? Or alternatively, if someone were to come in and buy you know, the segment of your business, right? Not the whole business, but the segment of your business that was contributing those intellectual property rights to co-sharing arrangement, how much would people pay? And so under the pre-2009 co-sharing regulations, you know, the tax court in particular rejected this idea. And there were, you know, there were a lot of words mentioned such as that, you know, this was an overextending of the letter of the law and so on and so forth. But, you know, the government continued to press on this issue. In 2009, they issued proposed regulations. So the caution regulations have been amended. And then finally, in 2017, 
Section 482, so the statute itself has been amended to include an extensive concept of what, you know, intangible property is. You raise some interesting points. It definitely was something else to kind of sit in on that trial, especially when prosecutors started chatting to a researcher from MIT about whether or not, you know, these uh, Facebook could hide these intangible assets from uh, from regulators. You know, and it was interesting. It's interesting to hear what you're talking about, especially concerning intangibles being created in the United States, but then shipped abroad. Yeah. So I think, you know, that that's sort of the difference between the scope of what intangible asset is under the historic regulations and the new rules. I think that the definition over the years has been consistently expanded by the IRS to include the so-called soft intangibles. What the IRS is trying to do, they're trying to say that, look, it's not just this one somewhat tangible product, right? So the software, but it's also everything around it that makes the software success from the business perspective. So it's, you know, know-hows, ideas, it's how you brand it, how you market it, how you drive the process that makes this software successful. And that's a lot. And that's why also, you know, they kind of gravitate. That, that's, that's sort of the premise that also makes the acquisition price valuation concept possible, right? And I think in Coca-Cola's case, it was easier because, you know, Coca-Cola, there is this safe in Atlanta where the secret formula is kept. And it's almost like, you know, we put this safe in Atlanta, the secret formula is there, so it's kind of hard to argue it's anywhere else, right? So I think Amazon and Facebook and, you know, anyone else who is not Coca-Cola, it's a slightly more challenging concept for for the IRS to argue. So in a way, it's different from Coca-Cola because there is nothing in the secret safe in Atlanta. But what people are trying to argue is the same, is that the secret source is really in the U.S. And you cannot really separate the ideas or how the product is marketed or how the product is presented to the outside world from the product itself. So, Rena, there's been some f- recent leaks over the past uh, few days um, stating that Facebook may actually completely rebrand. Um, it may change its name or may do some big kind of corporate shuffles and such like that, partly in response to all the negative press it's been getting over the past few weeks and months. Um, I just want to get your take on that. Uh, you know, would this have any effect on what's going on in this trial? Well, you know, it's it's like you can, in the old world, of course, we would say that it's if it's a completely new brand platform, then you know it's a completely brand. It, it's 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 a new thing, right? You would argue it's a new thing. However, you know, the IRS would look at it and they would say, well, we don't really care. Everyone knows it's still you. But you know, you know, Jeff, I'm thinking with all of the developments on the global minimal tax. I'm thinking how relevant all of this is going to be post-2024. Those type of disputes, I mean, they could be like war and peace 
or you know another great book of the past that we would study um you know when we study you know classic jurisprudence but is it really going to be relevant that's the question i, I don't know maybe it will be you know because you would still be talking about you know there are some pretty hefty valuation points and you know it might still be it might still be relevant but how relevant it is going to be i, don't, I you know i don't know that was arena pisareva a partner at crowell and mooring for more on the facebook trial let's hear asia's interview with lauren ponds a member at the firm Miller & Chevalier. Uh, well, maybe I can step back for a second and just ask, uh, what is a cost-sharing arrangement? Why does a multinational company enter into one? Right, so that's a way for related parties to develop um, intangible property together. So you share the costs um, and then you you split the benefits of whatever intangible comes out of that that collaboration in the same proportion in which you you share the cost. And so you have um, identified some what what are called RAB shares or reasonably anticipated benefits, and you split the proceeds of exploiting that that co-developed intangible property um, together. And is it that uh, something has been developed, this intangible property, whatever it is, in this case, it looks like it's applications or forms of software that Facebook has developed, users it's gotten, while it's in the US um, and maybe things to help with developing a mobile app or spreading it. And uh, so when it sends those things, is this right? When it sends those things to Ireland, uh, the US government expects to still be receiving taxes based on the profits that are coming from that, even though they're being used in, in another country? Well, in this case, uh, what's at stake is what's called the the platform contribution. And so there's an understanding that when you enter into a cost sharing, um, sometimes there is existing IP that will form kind of the basis for whatever comes next, what comes out of this um, joint development project. And so um, that is what is at issue in, in the Facebook case. Uh, what has been contributed to the cost sharing arrangement and what is the value? of that of that IP. Mm-hmm. And are there other cases that have been brought by other big multinational companies challenging IRS decisions in this area? I'm wondering where Facebook's case fits in uh, to what's happening with multinationals in this type of tax dispute. There are. So um, Facebook is the latest in kind of a line of cases that deal specifically with cost sharing. And probably the most relevant to Facebook is Amazon, which was decided um, in the Ninth Circuit just a couple of years ago. The difference is that Amazon dealt with old regulations. So the regulations at issue in Facebook are 2009 proposed regs. And then the regulations at issue in Amazon were old 1994 and 95 cost sharing regs. So in the IRS's view, they spend a lot of time talking about network effects. And so their argument is you cannot separate the social platform, you know, what we know to be Facebook from the user base, because, you know, they, they, they rely on each other. Without a user base, the platform means nothing. Without a platform, the user base is just a bunch of people. Um, and so you have to value them together. That is, that is the, the IRS's argument. Mm. Um, and I wanted to ask, my memory is there was a major footnote in this Ninth Circuit decision in Amazon. Amazon won that case. Um, And the footnote is famous um, because it says, you know, we're going to basically we're holding for Amazon. But these are under um, this decision is based on the regulations in force 
1994-95 regulations. If we were deciding this case today under the 2009 regulations and under the modifications to 482 that were made in uh, TCJA, the outcome would be completely different. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, So am I right in thinking that no matter what happens at the tax court, this case is appealable to the Ninth Circuit and that footnote in Amazon is going to be a big thing, that even though the IRS lost that case, it's, it's going to be hanging its hat on, uh, on what the court said there. Is that right? That is true. So yes, this would be appealed um, to the Ninth Circuit, given Facebook's uh, tax home in, in California. Um, and, you know, in its pretrial memorandum, the IRS, you know, rightfully so, uh, references the footnote from Amazon um, as a way of kind of bolstering its position. It, you know, it it has to. It has to reference the footnote. Um, the Ninth Circuit certainly has has foreshadowed its its thinking on the matter, but the footnote has no precedential value. It is a it's a footnote and it's dicta because the issues. Um, before the court in Amazon had nothing to do with these regulations. The, 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 the finding, the opinion didn't turn on 2009 regs. They weren't at issue in that case. Um, well, can you tell me how has the IRS been doing more broadly in these cases, um, dealing with what's called transfer pricing, shifting these intangible assets abroad and trying to value um, what those are worth and uh, what the taxes should be that come from it. Yeah, so in Amazon, you know, we, we did mention that the, the service lost, but I think it is important to note that there are some some statutory changes and part of those those changes were made really to give IRS more arrows in its quiver, so to speak. You know, this case is interesting because it really will turn on this network effects kind of argument and whether... Uh, whether they're successful with that. Mm-hmm. Well, that that gets into my next question, which is, um, do you expect the outcome of this case to impact uh, other companies? You know, what makes this case significant, if anything? Well, I, certainly the, the dollars um, that are potentially at stake. So this, this case, the dollars right now are not that big because it's, it's 2010. And so that was the beginning of when they entered into the cost sharing. But certainly the sheer magnitude if the IRS were to be successful with their valuation analysis, you know, the amount of or the value of the, the cost shared intangibles would would significantly increase. And of course, that would be a huge, huge tax bill over the years of the cost sharing. Um, apart from the, the scale, you know, cost sharings were, I think, a lot more popular um, then than, than maybe now. I'm not sure that they're certainly not not popular, but there was a lot of movement with regard to these rules coming into force, the, old, the interplay between the old rules. And so we're starting to see these cases now. Um, but I do think that the case is interesting and I, I don't anticipate that um, it will be necessarily the last um, to transfer some, or challenge some aspects of, of the 2009 regulations. Mm. Um, and do you have a prediction of what's going to happen in this case? How's the how is the tax court going to rule? How is the how is an appeals court going to handle that ruling? What do you think is going to happen? I have no idea. I um I have my thoughts about <laughs> what you know I think should happen. I think I've, I've been maybe I've given away my my thinking, but um I do think that 
that maybe the the IRS's view of what the platform contribution is is a little bit broad. Um, you know, I think this case is it's dragged out so long, partly because of COVID, um, and it has an extended, very extended timeline. So we won't know for for quite some time, likely. And then the almost guaranteed appeal <laughs> that will come after it. It doesn't matter what the outcome is at the tax court. Someone is not going to be happy about it. That was Lauren Pons, a member of the firm Miller & Chevalier, speaking with Bloomberg Tax's Aisha Bakshi. Before that, you heard Crowell & Mooring's Arena Pizzarella, speaking with yours truly. And that's it for today's Talking Tax. You can find up-to-the-minute news on the latest tax and accounting developments at our website, news.bloombergtax.com. That website, once again, is news.bloombergtax.com. And if you have any thoughts about what you just heard, or really anything else, get in touch with us on Twitter. We use the handle at tax. Talking Tax is produced by myself, Jeff Leon, and David Schultz. Patrick Ambrosio is our editor. Our executive producer is Josh Block. From Washington, I'm Jeff Leon. Thanks for listening. The number of words in the tax code is estimated to be 1 million about the same length as the entire Harry Potter series. Add in IRS regs, rev rulings, and case law, and it can be a lot. We all need a little help to sort it out. Each week on the Tax Girl Podcast, I talk to the best in the business. And these aren't crazy technical dives. They're interesting and easy to digest looks at topics that matter to you. It's all that you need to stay ahead on the most important tax issues. You can subscribe to the podcast for free on taxgirl.com because paying taxes is painful, but hearing about them shouldn't be.